Thank you for listening to this week's message from Haven Baptist Church. Our prayer is that God would use what you are about to hear to help you grow into a totally committed follower of Jesus Christ. Many days or events or seasons that historians would tell us that have changed the course of human history. They can be things that change the world for better. Sometimes they can be things that change the world for worse. There are too many uh, to, uh, to really list them all, but I did some research recently just finding out what were some of the things that historians, people who studied human history, thought were the most significant events uh, over the course of time that changed the world. And here's just a few of them that were mentioned the most often. The American Revolution. And it did change the course of human history. The Protestant Reformation. Uh, we are here today as part of that, really, uh, in, in how that changed the world. The tearing down of the Berlin Wall. We were actually in Germany, in West Germany, close to the time that happened. Our son was born there, and we were in that area when that happened. The life of Jesus. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. World War I and World War II, these events changed the course of human history. Another one that was listed quite often was the invention of Gutenberg's printing press. Certainly a significant event. Now, in the future, I think they'll look back and they'll say, when Al Gore invented the Internet, that really changed the world, too. But while there's no perfect list, we know there are significant things that have happened. But the most significant is what we're going to talk about today. See, the life of Jesus did change the course and the history of the world because of what we come here to remember today. To celebrate the fact that he died on a cross, but that he physically and actually and literally rose again from the dead. And this event makes Christianity and Christ the most important thing and the most important person in all of human history. C.S. Lewis was an atheist and he became a Christian. He was converted to Christ and he became an apologetic, apologist for the, for the Lord. He was a brilliant man and he said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Well, Christianity is of infinite importance, one, because it's true, but two, because of the resurrection, the resurrection changed every important thing that we face in life. Because of the truth of Easter, we can face life, we can face death, and we can face eternity with confidence and hope. And this morning, we're going to walk through the story in, of the resurrection in Luke chapter 24. So keep your Bibles open because we're going to see how this resurrection day, this knowledge that Jesus has rose again, changed the lives of people around him and, and will change our life. And I want to ask you this morning, have you experienced the change that the resurrected Jesus can bring to your life? Three things I want to show you that Easter changes. Easter changes everything, but three things in particular. If you have your outline, you can write this one in. Easter changed death to life. Easter changes death to life. Luke chapter 24, we're going to read, begin reading in verse 1. 
Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, Sunday morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. I wonder how many people will come to church on Easter and the story will seem like an idle tale to them. And they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Jesus and the resurrection changes death to life. Notice these angels speak to these women and they say, why do you seek the one who is living among those who are dead? He is not here. Notice, they didn't say, he is not here, he has been moved. He is not here, he has been taken. No, he is not here, he is risen. That's also very important. He is present tense risen, meaning he didn't just rise and die again. He's alive right now. He's not in this tomb, but he's out there somewhere. He is alive right now, present tense. And let me tell you this morning, he is still currently just as alive now as he was then. You see, death, since the Garden of Eden, has been the long curse that mankind has not overcome. Man's overcome many of his curses and many of his problems. Many diseases have been healed. Many situations have been changed through technology and medicine. And yet death is that one curse we cannot overcome. It's inevitable. It's a reality we all must face for those that we love and for ourselves. And we know it doesn't take long to figure out as you mature that the order of this sin-cursed world is death after life. Book of Ecclesiastes says it this way, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. The book of Hebrews says it this way, chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto, for men once to die. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. It is an appointment. Some of you are dealing with this reality right now. You recently buried someone. Some folks in our congregation buried someone this week. Some of you buried someone in the past few months. Some of you are going to bury... We have people in our congregation going to bury someone in the, this week, this very week, a loved one is going to be buried. And there are some of us who know that death is creeping in on someone that we love. And when the phone rings, for me, like when the phone rings, there's an apprehension and a fear that this is the call that death has come. Why do we all face death? What is the answer to this? Romans chapter 5 tells us, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Interestingly, we don't think of sin very seriously, but it is the reason for our greatest problem. It is the reason for our greatest curse. It is the reason for the one battle man cannot ever win on his own. The thing man will never overcome on his own is sin. 
God put Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. Remember, he gave them just few commands and they couldn't keep those. And since then, that one man he's talking about in Romans 5 is Adam. Just as sin, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. But it wasn't just Adam that sinned. It spread to all men because all men sinned. God is a lawgiver. He's our creator, but he's also a lawgiver. He gave us the law of how to live. He tells us how to live our lives. And he gave us the Ten Commandments, a very succinct understanding of how God expects people to live. And you know that still to this day that all the laws in all civilized country ultimately are based upon what God gave Moses in the Ten Commandments. And if you study them closely, they tell us two major things. They tell us, one, how to be right related to God and how to be right related to each other. He says in the first commandment, remember you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself any graven image, any carved image, any idol, anything that you would worship, that you could hold or see. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not cuss the Lord, use his name as a cuss word. You should not use his name idly. God should not come to your lips when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you're disappointed. That's taking his name in vain. God's word name should not be used in a joke in the sense of he's the punchline. That's taking his name in vain. He says, you shall honor my Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's my day. We always think of it's my time. Actually, it's God's time. You're living on it. And he says these commandments and no one's kept them completely. But he says in the, the other commandments, the next six, how to be rightly related to each other. He says, honor your parents. Don't disobey them. Don't dishonor them. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness, which is lie. Do not covet. Do not have a deep desire for what your neighbor has. Now, somebody may be thinking, well, I, I've done pretty good on those, but the Bible knows the intent of the heart. Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother without cause, you have murder in your heart. Jesus said, if you look with a woman that, at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And on and on it goes. And if we do an honest mental checklist, we know that we stand guilty of breaking those commandments. And the Bible says if you've broken them at one point, you're guilty of all, James chapter 2 says. In the book of Romans, it tells us the wages of sin is death. The result of sin is death. You know, there are people today who hate God because of death. Because death has come to their life, because they've experienced death, because they've lost someone that was dear to them, they hate God. Or because, uh, they, because of death has come, they hate their life. They're, they're, they hate living because someone has died. Interestingly, the thing that caused death, sin, we don't hate. We hate God who gives us life. We hate the life that God gives us sometimes, but we don't hate the sin that causes death. But because of Jesus' resurrection this morning from the dead, sin and death do not have the final say. The enemy, and the Bible calls death an enemy, that enemy cannot truly and totally defeat a Christian because it could not defeat the Christian's Lord and Savior. Because he rose again and we believe in him, we can rise again. Last week, unless you've been, you know, under a rock somewhere or haven't turned the TV on or haven't been on your phone or anything, you know last Sunday, Tiger Woods did something significant. Now, you may not know what it is and you may not care, but Tiger Woods, I know a bunch of you feel that way, uh, Tiger Woods won, his turn, won a tournament, he won a, this 15th major golf tournament. And it was a big deal. 
uh, to a lot of people. And it was mainly a big deal because Tiger Woods hadn't won that tournament in uh, 14 years. He hadn't won a major tournament in 11 years, mainly because Tiger Woods had ruined his life by bad, sinful choices. He had ruined his relationships. He had ruined his body. Just a year or two ago, he said he thought he would never play golf again. He couldn't even putt. His back was so bad. He's had a surgery and he overcame that and he's back and he won. And of course, all this week, people are like, man, that's the greatest comeback ever. That's the greatest comeback ever. They're debating it, you know, because we, we have too much TV. So people get paid to talk about stuff that doesn't matter. I mean, people get paid a lot of money to talk about stuff that really doesn't matter. 24 hours a day, that stuff's on. So here's the deal. If you've got time that really doesn't matter, spend your time watching that. But they said, man, is this the greatest comeback ever? And I said, no. Jesus' comeback was the greatest comeback ever. The master overcame. Not at the masters. The master overcame the grave. And because of that, you and I can have victory over death. Because of that, the Bible says that Jesus has nullified death's power to destroy us. Death can take its shot and take us out of this life, but it cannot destroy the, the Christian. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.10, that because of the gospel has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen to these words. Who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life, to light through the gospel. Paul says Jesus abolished the power of death over us and has brought to us life and immortality. The Bible says he gives victory to all who believe in him over the grave. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks to the grave. Some people go and they talk to their loved ones in the grave. Well, Paul speaks to the grave itself and he says this, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus has rose again, you and I can go to the graveside and sing, How great is our God. Because Jesus has overcome the grave, you and I can know that it's not the end. But I've got more news for you. Not only did he nullify it, one day Jesus is going to destroy it completely. One day there will be no death and no dying at all. All death and dying will be for this age and it will be past. The Bible says that enemy will be defeated and it will also be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. The last enemy Jesus will completely and utterly destroy will be death. You see, I believe that everyone who ever lived is somewhere right now. Every person who has ever lived is in, is in some place and some condition right now. And the Bible tells us these places and these conditions. John 3, 16, this verse, this famous verse that we all know so well, says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, now look at these two states, should not perish, that's one place, and that's one state, but have everlasting life. See, today, people are perishing or they have everlasting life. After people die, their soul is perishing. Not perished. Perishing. It's ongoing, present. Or they're living. They, they're existing somewhere without God. Or they're living in heaven with Jesus because of the resurrection. And because of the resurrection, Jesus has changed the order. Remember now we know that there is death after life. But because of the resurrection, there's also life after death. Thanks be to our God. 
the resurrection. Easter changes death to life. But secondly, I want to show you that Easter changes despair to hope. Easter also changes despair to hope. You have your Bibles. Continue reading the story with me. So he's spoken to these, uh, these um, angels have spoken to these women. They've carried the word back to the disciples. And now a couple of the disciples take off on a trip. Verse number 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they talked together of all these things which had happened, so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Thank God. You know, the Bible says in that next verse, but their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. They didn't know him. And the only way you know God is that God drew near to you. And the time came, God revealed himself to you. Here's Jesus drawing near. And you may be in this place today and you don't know God, but he's, it's almost like he's come and sat down next to you. Verse 17, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you've had with one another as you walk and are sad? These are people that are despairing. They're sad. Then one whose name was Cleophas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? This kind of has to be kind of comical in the sense, Jesus, okay, let me see what you know. Let's see what you call. Let's see what's going on with you. Talk to me. And by the way, you know, God knows what's going on with you and he still wants you to tell him. So they said to him the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now look at verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. But we were hoping. Their hope had turned to despair. We were hoping. We had our hopes on him. We had placed our hope in him, and now he's gone. Have you ever had your hopes dashed? Have you ever had your hopes crushed? Have you ever lost hope for a situation, a relationship? Maybe you've lost hope for yourself, that you've gone so far down, you don't think you can get back up, you don't think even God can forgive you, you don't think there's any way for this to turn around, and you have done things that you wished you hadn't have done, and you're ashamed of yourself, and you wouldn't want anyone to know, and there's a lot of people living with that kind of guilt this morning. Now remember when he was arrested, the disciples scattered they had abandoned him and now they're probably feeling some guilt about that and they're still walking in despair and although they've heard this story they didn't believe it and so they're just walking around dealing with their hopelessness and despair and I want to tell you today there are many people around us that are dealing with despair you may have come into this place today and you don't want anyone to know but you are living a life when you are living hopeless you're despairing of life itself and there's many people like that around us we are seeing an astronomical rise in suicide in America today. You know, I just saw a report on the local news, and I went and someone posted on Facebook. I went and watched it and went and read the article on one of the local TV stations. Children's Mercy here in Kansas City has seen a spike in suicide-related ER visits for children and teenagers. In 2018, Children's Mercy here in Kansas City treated 1,736 patients requiring a suicide assessment for suicide attempts or suicidal thoughts, a 39% increase. And this is across the board, they say, in America, children's hospitals, hospital in general, are not just seeing an increase among adults, but children. 
children. This is a world we live in with all of the fun and games and all of the, you know, listen, what we're finding out when the, when, when the phones can't keep us happy and the ball games can't keep us happy and the entertainment can't keep us happy, what we find out is we're still empty. We need something more than that. And I believe we're hopeless in despair because people are realizing life has no purpose and meaning and they can't find why they're here and what their purpose is. There was a man by the name of Bertrand Russell. He died in 1970. He was a British philosopher, a historian, an author. He was the winner of the 1950 Nobel Peace Prize in literature, but he was also a self-proclaimed atheist. I was introduced to his reading one day in the bookstore. He wrote a book, Why I'm Not a Christian. It intrigued me. He was, he was an apologist against Christianity for atheism. But he said this, unless you assume the question, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. It's an odd thing for an atheist to think about. It's an odd thing for an atheist to say that unless you assume God, life just doesn't have any purpose and any meaning. Well, I got, I got another news for you. Not just unless you assume a God, unless you find a God, life will never have any meaning. But if you find him, you can say, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Well, notice what happens. Jesus comes to them. They're telling this story. They say, we, we, we hoped he was the one. We were hoped he was the one. And then continue in verse 21. Look what it says. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. It, when, I, when, when that comes up in the verse, don't you just picture Jesus. He's like, fellas, haven't we talked about that third day thing before? Haven't we kind of talked about that third day? I mean, I think I mentioned that like something's going to happen on the third day. The third day. And then, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen the vision of angels who, who said he was alive. So they got Jesus' word. It was the third day. They got the women saying, we saw angels. But it goes on, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. So then Peter comes back and tells them. So Jesus answered, verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. And all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them all the things in the scriptures concerning himself. Here's the reason they were hopeless. Here's the reason they were in despair. Because they were slow of heart to believe. Despair is being slow of heart to believe. The world is empty and, and the world is dead inside because they're slow of heart to believe. They've heard the gospel over and over, but many are slow of heart to believe. This is what Jesus said, you've heard enough. The Bible says there is a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We studied this verse last Sunday. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the dead. A living hope because he is alive. Some of you have heard this over and over again. You heard it when you were a child. Heard it when you were a teenager. Parents took you to church. Some of you hear it pretty regularly at church. Some of you hear it on Easter. But you've been slow of heart to believe. And notice Jesus didn't say you're slow of mind to believe. Unbelief is an issue of the heart. It's not an issue of the intellect. Bertrand Russell was a great intellect. But his problem was his heart. He died with a heart that was not believing. But Jesus is patient, long-suffering. Thank God. 
Notice what happens in the next part of the story, verse 28. Jesus taught them. He, be, he expounded the scriptures to them, so they're walking along. Just imagine, you're talking about a great Sunday morning Bible study lesson. Jesus is walking with them, and he's just telling them about Moses. That's the law. He's telling about the prophets, how all the scriptures were pointing to himself. So then, then it says in verse 28, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. So he let them know, I'm just going to keep going, fellas. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. You know, they invited him in, and he came in. And you know, that's still true today. If you invite him in, he'll come in. You may have been slow of heart to believe all your life, but today, if you'll invite him in, he'll come in. But I got news for you. If you invite him in today, there'll come a day when he'll invite you in. There'll come a day when he'll invite you into his house. Where they were staying, he went in with them. But if you invite him in one day, he's going to say to you, come on in. You're with me. Come into my father's house. He spoke to them. Their, their, their despair became hope. How do we know? Verse 32, look what it says. Skip down to verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. That's the only kind of heartburn you like is that kind. Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us, the, the, the heart was burning. You know, the Bible describes the temperature of hearts. There's this burning heart, this hot heart. The Bible describes a cold heart. And the Bible describes a lukewarm heart. It describes a lukewarm church. It's a, it's a, a heart that isn't cold. And by the way, uh, Jesus is going to tell us, he, I'd rather you be hot or cold. This morning you come in here and you're lukewarm about this thing, Jesus would just rather you freeze. Because there's some hope for you if you're cold. Look what it says in Revelation. Listen to what it says in Revelation 3. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Some of us are lukewarm and we say, well, I know, I know this stuff. I've heard this stuff over and over again. I know this. I believe this. Yet your, hot, your, your heart doesn't burn with fire for God. Your heart doesn't love Jesus. Your life doesn't reflect that you know this. And it almost, it's almost like you've been inoculated. Like you've received your vaccination from it. You can say you've got your shot and you're going on and you won't have to worry about getting infected with the real deal. Could it be God brought you here today to turn that around and reset your heart for him? To reset your life for him that he could draw near to you and change your heart? On April the 6th, just a few Saturdays ago, the 24 satellites that make up the United States Global Positioning System, GPS, had to be reset. The onboard computers use a 10-bit binary system and they have to be reset every 1,024 weeks or 19 years the system went into effect in 1980. It was reset for the first time in 1999, and this was the second reset. The system would shut down and no longer function without it. Now, that was important to us because some of us couldn't find our way across town on our cell phones without the GPS if that went out. It's much more important for other reasons, like our satellites, our military defense systems that coordinate along with this GPS... But on April the 7th, a few Sundays ago, you and I woke up. Everything was intact. We didn't even know. We didn't even know that if that hadn't reset, there would have been a lot of chaos in the world. 
those satellites had to be reassigned to newer and updated coordinates. Some of us, our hearts are like that. Our hearts are running off old and faulty coordinates. Things we've embraced in another period of our lives. Things that we've allowed to keep us from walking with God. Our hearts are set to bitterness or anger or, or some sin that we won't give up. Some reason we don't believe in God. Some reason we won't trust Him. What you need is God to reset your heart to the resurrected Jesus. So you can find your way to His house one day. He has the coordinates home. Notice what happens after they realize this. That their hearts are burning. Now their faith is going to come. And when their faith comes... Their hope comes. Verse number 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed. There's no, listen, there's no, we hoped it was he. No, the Lord is risen indeed and appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now their doubts had turned to faith. And their despair had turned to hope. And they were sharing that hope with others. And they knew, folks, that's what God can do for you. You can leave here today assured that your eternity is secure with God. You can leave here today knowing that the Lord is your shepherd and he'll walk with you. You can leave here today knowing that your sins are forgiven. Resurrection. Easter changes death to life. It changes despair to hope. The last thing is it changes condemnation to salvation condemnation to salvation because we've broken the law of God and because we have not believed mankind lives under the condemnation of sin and unbelief unbelief is a very serious thing to God really what he asked for you is to believe him that's really what he asked of man is to have faith to believe him and not to believe him is is the ultimate slap in God's face the Bible says this. Remember that passage we read, John 3, 16? Everybody loves John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. We love that. We just read it. It's great. It's wonderful. It's everybody's favorite verse. I remember as a kid, there used to be a guy with this multicolored hair at ball games holding up a sign, John 3, 16. Listen, I remember that guy. I didn't know what that verse meant, but I remember him. He was holding it up every time I turned around. Everybody loves John 3, 16. But there's some more after John 3, 16. John 3, 17 and 18 says this. For God did not send his, world, his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. This is God's desire. Why? Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Folks, don't, you don't have to wait to be condemned if you die without Christ. We're living under condemnation right now that we've not believed what God has said. We've not trusted in the name and the character of God's Son. So God's going to tell them at the end of this chapter, look down in verse 44, skip down with me, because he's going to tell these men now he's with them, in the, he's with them after he's resurrected and he's teaching them. And verse 44 says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And I prayed this verse for us today. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Amen. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. He said, I must suffer, I must rise again, and you must go tell people they must repent. They must turn from their unbelief. They must turn from their, their uh, uh, 
unwillingness to trust me, their life without me, they're living on their own, they must turn from that. And they must believe. And when they do, I will remit their sins. I will forgive their sins. Jack Graham, he said this, At the cross, Jesus took the holy hand of God and the sinful hand of man. And by grace, he made the connection. We're saved from sin and we're reconciled to God. And now we live in the power of the risen Redeemer. And there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Has Easter changed everything for you? Have you come to a point in your life where you have met Jesus and by faith you have received him and believed in him? And do you have this hope, this confident expectation that when you stand before God... He's going to lead you in. He's going to say, come on in. Because you welcomed him in. He's going to welcome you in. What do I do? What must I do to have my relationship with God change? Three quick things here. Recognize. Each person has to recognize where they are, where you are. Individually, you have to recognize. You have to realize. You have to realize if you say, well, I believe in God, but yet you've ignored him all your life. You say, I believe in God. I'm not an atheist, but you don't know him. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you really have faith? Do you really know Jesus? Or is he just some concept, some historical fact? You have to recognize where you are. Secondly, you have to respond. Repentance and faith is a response that God requires. It's the only response God's going to require. This morning you come, don't, don't, don't miss this. You come here and you realize that you don't, you don't know God and you, you, you don't have a relationship with him, but you think, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back to church next Sunday and I'm going to put some money in the offering plate. All that's good. But the response God wants is you to repent and believe. The response God is looking for. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Faith is the response God is looking for. And then you receive what God has provided for you through Jesus. John 1.12 John 1 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So how do you believe in his name? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This morning, you have to recognize, respond, and receive what God has for you. The resurrection makes it possible. No matter who you are, no matter how far you've been gone, no matter how long you've been gone. Some of you come to church today and it's been a long time. Some of you were raised in church and yet you've wandered away. Some of you have really never been a part of the church. And all of those things and all of those stories are probably here today and are going to be all across America. But the main story is, has there ever been a time when you personally trusted Jesus?